This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. All right, Parsh Vayetze, guys, 5781, the Pusik says, and it's an amazing Pusik, it says, Yaakov the very end of the parsha, Yaakov went on his way. This is after Lovin already left. Pasuk Aleph is Lovin leaving. Yaakov goes on his way and he meets up with angels of God. And Yaakov says when he sees them, Machane Elohim says this must be a camp of God. And therefore he calls the place Machanoim. He calls this place Machanoim based on the angels that he saw there. So the first question, who are these Malachim that Yaakov Yenu met? So the first shot we're going to give is a Pshat-based one. It's not on Malachim itself. The Sefer Ayasher says as soon as Lavan left Yaakov Avinu, he sent his son Be'or. Lavan had a son Be'or, whose son was Bilam. Be'or was 17 at the time. He sent him over to Esav, all the way in Seir, to tell him Yaakov just left and I wasn't successful. The whole time, Lovin was trying to destroy Yaakov, and he was in cahoots with Esav to try to do so. He wasn't successful. So he sent a message down to Esav saying Yaakov had left. What had happened between them, revealing where Yaakov was staying. Esav was completely incensed. He still remembered that what Yaakov had done to him. He immediately gathered up an army to meet his brother and then to kill him. Lovin's messengers left and stopped, stopped off in Canaan. I don't know if they purposely told Yitzchak and Rivka what was happening, or it turned out that Yitzchak and Rivka figure, figured it out. But Rivka quickly sent 72 men to go greet Yaakov, you know, on the way before Esau, before Esau would be able to catch him so that he would know what his brother was planning. Yaakov called this group a Machane Elohim. It was a camp sent by God to help protect me from, from Esau's men because of what Rivka had sent to me, what, what his mother had sent to him. He then sent some of them ahead to Esav, those same messengers that were the Machne Elohim, the Malachim, but not angels, messengers over to Esav with words of peace to see how he would respond. And that's the beginning of that next week's Parsha. Amazing. No angels. No angels at all. Everything was simply put, messengers sent by Lavan and getting messengers or people, Shluchim, sent from, from Rivka. Yeah. Huge crowd, what do you mean, 72 people? Yeah, so oh, no, if it was messenger. 72 people, then the message from Rivka to Yaakov was get ready to fight. That was the message to it. Obviously, still 400 men of Esav, but that was the idea behind it. Rabbeinu Yosef Nechamia, this is the, the uh, I think it was the great, great nephew of the Chassam Sofer, says there were many people in Canaan who remembered Yaakov and loved him very much. They all knew him because he was that great tzaddik who, again, remember, he lived in Eretz Canaan for 63 or 77 years. They all knew him. So because he was a helper and he was a tzaddik and everybody loved him, they came to greet him when they heard he was coming back. Yaakov's coming back. He's been gone 20 years. They remembered him. They went out to go greet him. That's called a machne elokim because it's for the kavod of Hashem. It's for the honor of HaKadosh Baruch where they came out over here. So Yaakov, in his humility, said, they're not coming to greet me. They're coming to greet the greatness of HaKadosh Baruch and the greatness of his Torah. And therefore, he called them machne elokim. And that was the machne that came to greet him. Those are the people that came to greet him, not angels. Again, the same they are not angels. It was never greeting angels itself. The Tzor Hamor points out how ridiculous it was for Lovin to just leave as he did, going back to his old life. That Lovin just left. He just went back to his place as if nothing had happened. Lovin gained nothing from being in proximity to such an awesome tzaddik for 20 years. Seeing what his children are like, Lovin's grandchildren, his own grandchildren are like, 
and seeing what had happened to his riches, how wealthy he had become all this time. He had seen miracles while Yaakov had been with him. He clearly saw a vision with HaKadosh Baruch Hu in it because of this. He attempted magic, other sorts of terrible things to try to knock down Yaakov, and he wasn't successful. And yet, he went back to his own place. Yaakov Holach Ladarko. He kept growing and becoming greater and greater and greater, being unaffected by the unbelievable amounts of Tuma that was in Lavan's house. And that shows the absolute greatness of a person like this. The Be'er Ma'im Chaim, Hasidic Rebbe says, Vayivku Ba'malach Elohim, was really for Lavan. Malachim of Din, notice by the way, it's Machna Elohim, the shame of Midas Adin, that greeted him for treating Yaakov the way that he did that entire time, and he lost all his money. Maybe you know the Medrash, that when Lavan went back, it says, Vayashav Lavan Min Komo, it doesn't mean he just went back to his place. He went back to his original stature. Originally, he was poor. That's why Rachel was his shepherd. His young daughter was his shepherd. He couldn't afford to have a regular shepherd for his sheep. There was nobody else around, and he didn't have any sons or anything. When he went back, robbers came to his house while he was out trying to get Yaakov, you know. They stole everything from him. Everything was gone, and he went back to his original status that he was before Yaakov had been there. Says the Bear Mind Chaim, that's Vayivku Bo Malachi Elohim. It's not Vayivku Bo as in Yaakov met Malachim. That's not what happened. The Malachi Elohim, the Malachim of Din, met Lavan on his way back, stole all his stuff from him, and he became poor as dirt afterwards. And that's why we don't hear from Lavan ever again. He's gone. He's wet to the annals of history because he's failed in knocking down Yaakov. You know, and after that, he was poor as anything. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm, that's not good. One second. Normally it is. How it turned off by a tiny little battery. Let's try it again. All right, you know what? I might have to re-record it, which kind of stinks. But we'll just keep going with this. This is fine for right now. Anyway, so I don't need this then. This I don't have to worry about. All right, what can you do? Moshev Zakanim brings from Rabbeinu Yeshai. Oh, I'm sorry. So the last thing is, the Torah more adds on, that if you notice, in the beginning of the Parsha, Yaakov sees Malachim. On the way to Lavan, he sees Malachim, but he sees them in a dream, right? He sees them in a dream. On the way home, after being with Lavan for 20 years, he sees them live, while he's still awake, while he's actually out there. The greatness of Yaakov, is that after being with an evil person for 20 years, he became greater. That's how the Torah more puts it. He became greater. Normally, if you're learning for 77 years straight, 14 years straight in Yeshiva Shem Be'ever without sleeping, you'd think he'd be on a higher level than after you were just working for 20 years. But no, says the Torah more. He became a better person after that. And it's similar to what happened to Avram Vinu when Lot was around. When Lot was around, then Avram Vinu could not get a Nevuah from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When Lot left, then Hashem appeared to him. The same thing over here, which is absolutely amazing. Okay, the Moshe is going to bring from Rabbi Yishai that seeing the Malachim was merely a dream. Yaakov could not see them live. It was impossible for him to see them live, and that's that. He wasn't able to do that. That was beyond his abilities. The Rambam says the same thing in Morin Nevuchim. There is no such thing as seeing a Malach with your own eyes while you're awake. You can't do it. It's an impossibility. There's no such thing. The Abarbanel says this is through a nevuah muchashis. And although I can't tell you, I don't know the Abarbanel well enough to tell you exactly what that means, but a nevuah muchashis seems to mean a dream that seemed really real. That's what it sounds like, a dream that was really real to him. But all three of those pirushim, the Morinivukim, the Rambam, the Abarbanel, 
and the Rabbeinu Yeshaya from the Moshe's Kingdom all say that this couldn't have been live. He was not able to be alive while doing this because, or awake while doing this because you can't see a Malach while doing that. But many other Achronim, the Aznaim Latorah, the Torah's Chaim B'Amunah, the Bermaim Chaim, the Malbim, or Vigdor Miller, the Munasitech on page 84 and 88, say this shows the level of Yaakov Avinu, of after being with Lavan, he was able to do that. He worked on his Hispotidus, he worked on everything he needed to do in order to get to this level, and now he became even better. The Meshach Chachma says there are two ways that a Malach could appear before a person. There are two ways that this could happen. Number one is through a physical presence, with obviously a lavush that a Malach wears. He dresses up as a human, and that's what happened by Avram Avinu when he saw the Malachim, and Lot, when he saw the Malachim, they dressed up as human beings. That's one way. The other is through dakos hamuchash, which means you feel like there's something in front of you, but you can't see anything in front of you. There's something, but yet there's nothing. You don't know exactly what it is. That's the problem with it. Normally, when you see your friend from afar coming close, you see him coming closer and closer and closer. By a malach, it never appears that way. It just appears. Avram Binu just saw the Malachim standing in front of him. Yaakov Binu just saw the Malachim. It's Vayifku'ubo, Malachi Elohim. They just met him right there, says the Meshachachma. That's how they appeared to him. They appeared as all of a sudden, not like a human being would, but rather in a dakus amuchash, some type of nivul where he's able to see something, but he wasn't sure exactly what he was seeing, and he knew the presence was there. That's how the Meshachachma puts it and explains how it's going to be. It could even be that this is the reason for the simon at the end of the Parsha. Rav David Feinstein's Zatzal says Parsha's Vayetze has a total of 148 psukim. 148 is the gematria of Machanayim, which is weird. I don't remember, and I'd, I wanted to look this up and I just didn't. I don't think there is any other simon that is the same word as the last word of the Parsha. Meaning in Parsha's Tzav, there are 96 psukim and the simon is Tzav. Right, But I don't know if there's another one where a word in the Parsha is the simon at the end. You guys know what I'm talking about? You know at the end of every Parsha it tells you the amount of psukim, and then it tells you simon, it tells you something. The simon is the last word, machanayim. That's just super weird, just very strange to see. And Rabbi David Feinstein says that Yaakov's simon, how he became throughout this Parsha, is growing. How he got better and better and better, growing from one level up to the next level, to the next level, to the next level, and becoming as great as he ended up becoming, right? And it shows his HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Ashkacha, watching over him both in Chutzlarz and Eretz Yisrael. When he leaves Eretz Yisrael, he has Malachim watching him. When he comes back to Eretz Yisrael, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is watching him. He has Malachim that are watching him. Rabbi Yudah says that Moshe Rabbeinu was, Yaakov you know, was so great at this moment, he didn't need Hachana for Nevuah at all. This is how great, how great he became. By, again, by the beginning of Vayetze, he had to prepare. There were 14 years. He was learning in Yeshiva. Shame that Eber was there the entire time. Here, they just appear to him, just like that. It's similar to what happened with Miriam and Aaron and Moshe Rabbeinu. Miriam and Aaron were standing there saying, why is Moshe any better than the rest of us? He's a Navi just like we're a Navi, and why is he any different? And the difference was, is that Hashem could appear to Moshe Rabbeinu just like that, and he had to be ready at all times. That's why he couldn't be married. Miriam and Aaron were allowed to be married, which meant that if Hashem appeared to them all of a sudden, they had to prepare themselves. They said, wait, what are we going to do? Yaakov was so great at this moment. He needed no preparation. By Yifku, Bo Malachel came. Malachim met him, and he said, all right, let's go. What's, what's up with you guys, Malachim? What, what are you guys doing right now? That's how great of a person he was. Ramosha Feinstein, in his state for Kol Rum, he also says, Yaakov was totally at peace with himself. Even though he knew Esav was coming and he barely escaped Lavan, he was completely in control. That Malachim in front of his face did not shock him at all. 
I just want you to keep thinking, like, how is that possible that you're not shocked by Malachan coming up to you? How does that not just get you and say, this is crazy. This is the craziest thing I've ever seen. It should be. It is the craziest thing ever. And yet still didn't shock him. He continued to do everything normal. That's absolutely abnormal. People don't do that. Yet Yaakovina was just that great that he had no problem with it whatsoever. He was just that amazing. Let's go to another line. Rashi says he's Malachim or Malachim of Eretz Yisrael that came to greet him and be Malavahim into the land. The Malachim of Eretz Yisrael came out to Chutzlaretz, greeted him and brought him in. Rabbeinu B'chayi says it's the same Malachim in the beginning of the Parsha. The, remember, the Malachim going up the ladder were angels of Eretz Yisrael. The Malachim going down the ladder were Malachim of Chutzlaretz to help him in Chutzlaretz. Now those Malachim of Eretz Yisrael came back when he's coming back. And that's what he says, Kashir Ra'am. Kashara means he saw them. Who did he see? He saw the same Malachim that he saw before. He recognized them almost immediately. Yaakov Ruveni says that in number 187. Miyamu says, when Yaakov left Kavron, I made a huge Roshan that was felt in Shemayim. We said before that there were tzaddikim and they heard that this Sadik had left. The people realized Yaakov was coming back and the people went out to greet Yaakov. According to this Miam Loez, the Malachim came to greet Yaakov. They said, we felt your presence missed here in Eretz for so long. As soon as you came back, we wanted to greet you and bring you in because the Kedusha level is going to raise above. The Medrash Rabbah says there were either 600,000 of them, 1.2 million of them, 20 billion of them, or 40 billion of them from the Medjagada and Vayishlach. Torah Shlomi says they danced around him. You're coming back to Eretz Yisrael. They were so happy. The Malachim started dancing around him. Now again, I, I don't even know what the numbers mean. You can't picture even a million people. You can't do it, no matter how hard you try. Think of the biggest crowd, 40 billion Malachim. I can't even imagine what that must look like. Yeah, Shlomo. Great question. And I thought that the answer was the following. When I heard that, when I thought of that question was there, it was like, why would there be so many malachim? I said to myself, it must be that all these malachim are the malachim of all the objects around Eretz Yisrael, like a malach of a blade of grass and the malach of the tree and the malach of the rock, where they felt the presence missed and therefore their job was harder. So every malach knew when Kedusha left the land and they couldn't do what they wanted to do easily. They had to push themselves. So when Yaakov came back, they said, this is exactly what we've been waiting for. We wanted a person like that. That's why I thought it's machlokis between them of all the numbers. What felt it the most? Was it, for example, the animals that felt it the most? And it was 600,000. Was it, I don't know, the animals and the trees and it's 1.2 million? Was it even the racks and, it's, and you keep going up because of all the items that it could possibly be? That's what I thought it might be, the machlokis between them. But I don't know. There's no, there's no, nobody that talks about why that would be. The Rabbin of says, we say this, I don't know, Raf, we say it every Friday night. We sing a song after Shalom Aleichem. We do, Ki Malachav Yitzavelach, Lishmor Chabachol Does anybody else sing that? Right? Adonai Shalom, Melech Agvir, Melech Baruch. You don't even do it? What do you mean, Raf? You don't do it? Nobody else. I saw, I met one person who does it, right? Ki Malachav. It's a great, great, whatever. It's, a, it's something from my Slobodka past from my Hasidic great-grandfather who went off the derech and went to Slobodka. So, like, something happened there. I don't know what this came from exactly, but either way, but we do it. 
And that line, Ki Malachov that is Malachim, watch over you. They're commanded against to watch over you in everything you do. It's clear that Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says that Pasuk teaches us these were the Malachim that came back to Yaakovinu. They were the guardian angels that took care of them. The, the Shulchan Aruch says in Sim, Simen Gimel, Sif Aleph, that when you go to a bathroom, you should say the words, Hishabdu Michubadim, be honored, O honored ones. Wait for me outside. You're supposed to talk to your own malachim that are with you at all times and tell them to wait for you while you go to the bathroom. When you get out, then you'll meet the malachim again. Do you know that? That's a straight out halacha. Simon Gimel Sif Aleph in the Shulchan Aruch. The Mishnah Baruch says we don't say it anymore because we don't trust that we're great enough to have those malachim around us. But it's a simon in Shulchan Aruch. It's a straight out simon in Shulchan Aruch that a person should say it. That we say, That's how crazy it is. That, and those malachim that guarded over Yaakov were the ones that came. And I guess that's Eretz Yisrael malachim versus Chutzlar's malachim. Those are the ones that came. The Sporno adds that there were two groups of malachim. Machanoyim means camps, right? So obviously until now, Rashi is saying malachim Eretzel, malachim Chutzlar's. According to the Sforno, there was a Malachim that were his own, and the Malachim that were sent by Shemayim. He knew his Malachim were going to protect him no matter what. The Ki Malachav He wondered what the other group was supposed to do. What is this new group? Yalkruveni says that these are only the two Malachim that came that to be Malavim, and that's it. It wasn't extra Malachim, it was just two. Torres Chaim Bamuna says, Kasher Ra'am, he saw them. Ra'am is Rifael. Uriel Michael. Not Gavriel, but Rafael Uriel Michael. And I thought the reason why not Gavriel is simple to show that Hashem wanted to have mercy on him, because Gavriel is a Malach of Din, to show he would not even have to fight Esav, that he would be okay. Now, obviously, he had to fight the Malach of Esav, but maybe that's why Gavriel wasn't sent to show that he didn't have to worry about Din, he just had the Malachim of Rachmi, which is also interesting. Yalkur Vini number 183 says these malachim were the souls of Avraham and Yitzchak. Weird, right? But I, it's weird because Yitzchak's still alive. The soul of Yitzchak sent malachim with him? So what does that mean? That usually don't have that. I know he was blind, but how could that be? But I found a little bit later, it seems that these malachim were the malachim of the Akedah, which means it was the malachim that Avram and Yitzchak were able to create out of their tzidkus, out of their awesomeness. And that's why they were there. Maybe that's the idea behind it. What's up, Shlomo? So that is actually brought down by the Akrav, but I didn't want to say that, right? The reason why we say Mechaye HaMesim by Yitzchak is because his soul did die. And there was something else that came in, the Bakol soul that Yitzchak Avinu had within him, maybe left, and then all of a sudden he became a new soul, and that soul was the one that came back. Great call. Very good call, Shomo. That is actually brought down by the Akrovani, but I didn't want to say that, so that, that, that works out well. But yes, that, that's the exact idea that he says over there. Sam Silver says another crazy idea. Did you know that every time that there's a war down here on earth, the Malachim of each nation fight each other in Shemayim? So if, for example... During World War II, Germany fought against France. It wasn't much of a fight, right? But Germany fought against France. In Shemayim, the German Malach fought against the French Malach, and the German Malach took down the French Malach, and therefore Germany took down France. That's what happens every time. The Malachim and Shemayim first fight each other, and depending on how that outcome is, that's what happens down here on earth. The Malachim first, then down here. That works by all other wars, except for B'nai Yisrael. Why doesn't it work for B'nai Yisrael? We don't have a Malach. And if we don't have a Malach, there's no one to be able to fight for us up in Shemaim. And that's why it's always a 
possibility that will win, a possibility that will lose, meaning a Kershbar who has no decision. It's the Ein Mazel Yisrael idea. The Ein Mazel Yisrael. So it says the following. If Esav needed to fight up against, you know, obviously Esav needed to fight against B'nai Yisrael, if that, that's what had to happen, then somebody needed to fight the Malach of Esav. Who's going to fight the Malach of Esav? That's why the night before he met Esav, Yaakov had to fight the Malach. Normally that's fought in Shemayim. Normally that's the Malachim that fight each other. But there is no Malach. So Yaakov was sent Malachim to be his guys. Remember, like, not G-Y-S-E, but G-U-Y-S. So that just like Esav's Malach has protégés of Malachim all around him, he doesn't come in by himself, there's Malachim all around him, Yaakov was sent Malachim from Shemayim to protect him. Why would they protect him? Because they needed something. Something needed to be surrounding him. Something needed to be around him to be able to make sure that he wouldn't get hurt. And that answer is the age-old question. Everybody always asks, why did the Malach of Esau fight Yaakov? Didn't he have Malachim surrounding him at all times? What happened to his Malachim? Why were they not there protecting him? The answer is, they were protecting him because there were hundreds of Malachim, let's call it 400 Malachim with Esau's Malach that all came. And Yaakov's Malachim were fighting all those Malachim, which left Esau's Malach for Yaakov himself to be able to fight. That's the idea behind it, says the Chassam Sofer. And that's what happened right over there. That's how he knew that he was going to fight a war because he saw that these Malachim were coming to fight for him on his side, but they weren't going to fight the actual Malach of Esav. He knew that this fight was going to happen. Marl just... Yeah. What's up, Ali? What about... What? About, what? A, civil, a civil war. Oh, in a civil war? I would assume it's the Malachim within the people, right? Every person's Malach or everything in and of itself. Like... Machni Yehuda versus Machni Yisrael would assume each one has their own Malach. I don't know for sure, but I would assume that that's what happens. Right, that would be there. Daniel, yeah? It doesn't happen in a physical way. I mean, the Rambam says that the entire thing was a dream, but it just means the ability to control one's actions and not fall prey to his own Yetzirah. That's all that had to happen. If he can do that, then he defeats the Malach, seemingly defeats the Malach. Shlomo, yeah? That's exactly it, because normally we don't have a Yaakov Avinu to fight a Malach. So in future wars, HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes care of it himself or allows the Malach to defeat B'nai Yisrael on its own without him getting involved. But that's exactly it. When we win those wars, then it's Hashem taking care of the Malach for us. That's, and now we have a Yaakov Avinu. Right now, in this war, we have a Yaakov Avinu. But that's exactly what happens in most wars. And unfortunately, there are times where we don't win, where we don't go through. Now, I don't even know what to say for, like, 2020. You know, like, wars nowadays don't make any sense in the classic way. Like, back then you could tell when somebody won a war, right? How many people were dead and what happened. You know, nowadays, who wins a war? Did you know that in, I think it was the Yom Kippur War, it might be the Sixth Day War, the 1973 War, Egypt has a holiday on the day that they claim they won the war? Do you know that? Because at one of these, I think it was the 73 War where we gave back the Sinai Peninsula to them. We brought it back. It was because it was a peace overture or something like that. They celebrate the day they won the war. We won the war. Israel won the war. But because they got back to the Sinai Peninsula, they claim that they won it. 
It's like a pellet. It doesn't make any sense, but that's it. So I don't know what it is with today's wars and how things go. I have absolutely no clue. There's something really strange about these things. That I just, abs- I, I can't say. I have absolutely no idea. All right, there's more. There's another answer of what these Malachim were. The Miam Lui says, based on the Zohar, that Yaakov was Zohar to see the Malachim he created from his own mitzvos. Those Malachim are with you wherever you go. Now, you just don't know it, but every time you daven, every time you learn, every time you do a mitzvah, if you have tzitzitzan, you're creating malachim every second. You can watch those malachim around you. If you had the right eyes, you'd see these hundreds, thousands, maybe even millions of malachim that are surrounding you at all times. Unfortunately, with Averos as well. Great mikubalim are able to look at a person and see the malachim around him and see what malachim are closer to him. Are they the malachim of mitzvah or the malachim of Avera that are surrounding him the entire time? Great people are able to see such a thing. Normal people don't have that ability. Says Rashi, Yaakov was able to see, or the Mayam is based on the Zohar, he could see those malachim and he knew that they were there and that's Machanoim, the camp of his own mitzvos and the camp of malachim that Hashem sent him. Paris Yosef brings this from the Bina Le'itim Drush Beis. I don't know who the Bina Le'itim is. And he says he didn't want to use the malachim sent by Hashem to be his messengers. So instead, he sent to Ace of the Malachim created by his own mitzvot. The Chidah says the same in two different places. Ramoshan Koran says there's a difference in the different Malachim we create. When we do mitzvot, sometimes it's the right way, and sometimes, you know, it's whatever. Sometimes when you bench, it's like Baruch HaToshem, Elokeinu Melech Olam. And then the Malach that's created is a full Malach. He's got great hands, he's got looks good, he's got like a nice body, everything's all good. And sometimes when you bench, you're like, right? And maybe you get a duh at the very end, right? That malach that's created has like, you know, like a missing arm, right? He's got like a little leg. He's like on crutches, right? And he's walking around. He's got bandages all over his face. He doesn't look very good. So you can tell just by looking at the malachim, what you did in your mitzvot. Were you good or were you bad? What happened with those mitzvot themselves? Says Ramosha, that's how he knew. There were certain malachim that were created from his mitzvot, but nobody's perfect and that happens. The malachim Hashem sent him were perfect malachim. And therefore he knew they were sent for a purpose. There was an idea behind them. There was something that HaKadosh Baruch wanted from them. That's the machne elokim, a machne of pure godly angels that were there to be able to help him. Okay, a little bit more. Rashi says the two groups of malachim, those from Chutz, and up until now, and then the ones from Eretz Yisrael that came to greet him. Sifsei Chachamim asks, and we mentioned this, Malach, this Rashi before, how, how did these Malachim of Eretz Yisrael go outside of Eretz Yisrael to greet Yaakov? In Rashi up above, in the beginning of Ayetze, says, angels of Eretz Yisrael cannot leave. Cannot leave. They're not allowed to leave. And yet here they leave to go greet Yaakov Avinu when he's outside of Eretz Yisrael. How could that happen, right? So he says that would have happened. Normally, it should have happened the other way, but he wanted to send them on to Esav as his messengers. So therefore, because of that, he allowed them to somehow come down and be from Eretz Yisrael and go outside. But it's a strange answer from the Sitzach Chamim, a really strange answer. Nachlas Yaakov says, Malachim of Eretz Yisrael cannot leave, cannot leave. They couldn't go with them until the other Malachim came down, the Malachim Chutzlar, it's in the beginning of the Parsha. And that's why they waited, they waited, they waited, and that's when they went up in the middle of the dream. That's what happened at that point. But Yaakov had been asleep. He was now awake. This is a different story. At that point, there's a different type of thing around him. They asked the question, what happened with the Lephaz and all those, but I'm going to skip that for right now. But let's get to the Ramban. The Ramban asked in this Rashi and says, so what, what does that mean? It sounds like from Rashi that Yaakov is an Eretz Yisrael. 
But we know Yaakov's not in Eretz Yisrael. Yaakov is on the Jordan River's right here. We have the Jordan River right here, right? The Kinneret and the Dead Sea right here. Yaakov's coming from Aram. He's coming from up here from Aram, which is Syria slash western Iraq, somewhere around there. He's coming down, and instead of going this way, past the Kinneret and into Eretz Yisrael from the north, he's coming down this way on the other side of the Jordan River. He's coming down this way. As he's going down this way, he's by the land of Ammon and Moab, the Amonimov that later on be Ruven, God, and Menashe, and he eventually passes the Nachal Yabok. That's what we have in this week's parsha. He passes over, he crosses over the river Yabok. As he's going down, he's crossing over that river, getting near the Jordan River, right over there. That's where Esav meets him. That's where the Malach of Esav is. That's where he meets him. He's outside of Eretz Yisrael. Says the Ramban, why is Rashi saying that these Malachim were Malachim of Eretz Yisrael who greeted Yaakov when he came to Eretz Yisrael if he wasn't in Eretz Yisrael? That's the Ramban's kasha, and he cannot understand it. He goes through with his own geography. Remember, the Ramban lived in Israel. Rashi did not. The Ramban moved to Eretz Yisrael and wrote his parish on Chomish when he was in Eretz Yisrael and says, this doesn't make any sense to me. I don't get how this possibly could have happened. Instead, he says that maybe this vision was given to Yaakov so you would see that Hashem was with him no matter what and that there were more soldiers on his side than there were by Esau. But there's something wrong with the way that Rashi is explaining it that it's Malachim of Eretz Yisrael that are coming to greet him. The Mizrahi, he also, remember, the Mizrahi also lived in Eretz Yisrael. In fact, the Mizrahi movement is somewhat based on the very first Ola, Eretz Yisrael, in modern times. In the 1200s, the Mizrahi moved to Eretz Yisrael, was one of the first to convince others to do it, and started a whole yeshuv in Eretz Yisrael. That's where it comes from, right? That idea. So Rabbi Leo Mizrahi says, based on his knowledge of geography, it could be that Yaakov already entered the land. But it's totally dochik. Because looking at any map will tell you where Nachal Yabok is. And unless somehow there was a different river that was also called Yabok in Eretz Yisrael, something's up. Something's really strange about this. And also, it seems like he didn't go to Eretz Yisrael. It's just a strange Mizrahi. The Gurari says a Chiddush, and this is a huge Chiddush. Did you know, right now, what are they saying in Eretz Yisrael that we don't say in our Shemona Esra? Right now, what are they saying in there? We also say Mashur Lachor If you haven't been, you should probably be repeating your Shemona Esra. What else do they say? Saint Talmud to Levracha, right? From Zion Cheshem, the Saint Talmud to Levracha, right? But we don't start until when? Yeah, very good. This year, it's the 5th of December, because remember, it's a leap year, right? 2020, February 29th, right? So it's going to be the 5th of December, the night of the 5th of December. So it's the Mariv of the 5th of December. Not the night before, but the Mariv of that 5th of December. Normally the 4th of December, based on the winter equinox and whatever, based on what they have. So we do it on the 5th of December. If you go to Eretz Yisrael now, do you save a St. Talmud Libracha? Or do you continue saying the same bracha? Well, there are different opinions. Let's say you're coming back before December 7th. Let's say you're staying there until after December 7th. There's a lot of different opinions. Many opinions say do not daven for the Umud when you're in Eretz Yisrael. You're going to go there and then come back. And this happens to me all the time. I'm usually in Eretz Yisrael starting Motei Shabbos. That's my usual trip to Eretz Yisrael. I go Motei Shabbos after Thanksgiving and I'm there until Friday morning. And almost always I have a problem with saying do I say the same time to the or not? It's almost never December 4th by that time. And I'm always coming back before December 4th. I shouldn't say always, but usually I'm coming back before December 4th. 
So it's, it's no gay to me almost every year except for Corona year. So whatever. So what do you do? Maklokas. I'm not going to go through the different shitas, but there are three different shitas. The, every, no, usually people do like the Moedim Uzmanim. They say the St. Talmud Bracha. Here's the Shiloh. When do you start the St. Talmud Bracha? When you enter Eretz Yisrael? What if you are on a plane going to Israel? What do you do then? Does that count or not? So there's a psak that's given by Shlomo Zalman Orbach that if you're on a plane going to Israel, it's not stopping off anywhere, but you're on a plane going straight to Israel. As soon as you get on the plane, you're chayev to do what Eretz Yisrael is doing. So if you're on that plane, you get on that plane, you're starting the St. Talmud to Levracha, if that's how you hold. You got to start the St. Talmud to Levracha right then. Crazy psak, right? Because it's on its way. Where does that psak come from? Says the Gurarie, Here. Gurariyeh says we pask in that based on this Pasuk. Why? Because the Malachim of Eretz Yisrael came to greet Yaakov Avinu, even though he was in Chutzlars. But Malachim of Eretz Yisrael can't leave Eretz Yisrael. Says the Gurariyeh, if someone's going to Eretz Yisrael, it's like they're in Eretz Yisrael. If they're going, then that's considered like they're there. So even when he's traveling, the Malachim of Eretz Yisrael can greet him. Says the Gorari, if that's true, then why weren't the Malachim of Eretz Yisrael there when he left Haran? Why didn't they meet him when he left Haran? As soon as he left Haran, they should have been there. Why'd they only come after Lavan left? And the answer is because Lavan was going to try to hold him back. So he wasn't definitely going to Eretz Yisrael yet. He was trying to go to Eretz Yisrael, but he wasn't guaranteed to go to Eretz Yisrael. If he's not guaranteed, the Malachim can't come yet. Only when Lavan left, and he was definitely going to go to Eretz Yisrael, that's when the Malachim of Eretz Yisrael came. That is such a brilliant answer. Really a brilliant answer. It also answers the Gorayi. That would answer why if you got on a plane going to London, you got a stop off there, and then you have a stop off, then you go to Eretz Yisrael, when do you start saying the same time as Rachel? According to this idea, you would only start in London because you could get that stopover, that layover. You might not get the plane to Eretz Yisrael. So therefore, you can go through. Why an airplane? Maybe the airplane will crash. Maybe the airplane won't make it. Maybe You can assume Cheska's kashras on most airplanes that you're going to be able to make it there. So therefore it goes. Yeah. For what? What do you mean? No, you can't do that because you're still in a time zone. You're still in a time zone. The only question would be, are you in, a, even if you're in Kutzlarts right now, if you're on the way, yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's like, it's almost, you know what they even say? I've even heard this. Avira de Eretz Yisrael Machakim, you know, the, the airspace of Eretz Yisrael makes you smarter, starts when you're on the plane on the way there. It starts right then. Now that, I don't know. But the, the, this issue is an actual halakhic issue. What do you do? Do you do the same Talmud Bracha on the plane? If you hold it, you do it in such a situation. What do you do right there? That would be based on this Gorariya. Yeah, Jojo. No, nothing. That's that. That's how the Nachalas Yaakov answers it. There's a real Shlom over here as well, but we're not going to go with that. That's a Gorariya. The Oznayin Torah says, even though back then he was in the area of Kodesh HaKadoshim, in the area of the Haramoria, when he saw the Malachim in the beginning of the Parsha, he only saw Malachim in a dream because his thought process was there. Says Oznayin Torah, very similar to the Gorariya, his thought process now was in Eretz Yisrael. So here's his brilliant answer. Everybody asks this question. Yom Kippur night, the night of Yom Kippur, Marav of Yom Kippur, we all know, right? We're Malachim, Malachim. And we yell out loud, Baruch, Shem, Kibbut, we do the whole line out loud, right? Because we're Malachim, we're Malachim, we can say Baruch, Shem out loud. Motzei Yom Kippur, Marav. We've been fasting for 25 hours. 25 hours, right? 
and we come out after davening like mad. We've been sitting in shul all day. We have nothing in our stomachs. Motzi Yom Kippur. We get to Mariv, and we say, Baruch Come on. On Yom Kippur nights, we're stuffed to the gills. We eat tons of food. We're ton- we have food all over. We've been drinking. We have as much as we need in our stomachs. We're more like Malachim after Yom Kippur than we are on the night of Yom Kippur. So why are we saying Baruch Shem Kavod out loud on the night of Yom Kippur, but we say it quietly on Motzi Yom Kippur? Great question, right? The answer is brilliant. Says the Oznayim Torah. He says he heard it from someone else. I forgot if I wrote down who we heard it from. I, don't, I didn't write it down. When you're going into Yom Kippur, on that night of Yom Kippur, you're thinking Yom Kippur thoughts. You might be stuffed, but your thought process is Yom Kippur. If your thought process is Yom Kippur, then you're a Malach. But on Motzi Yom Kippur, Motzi Yom Kippur, your thought process is, I want to eat. I'm hungry. See, even though you've gone through the whole process, even though your body is a Malach's body, but your mind is a human mind. And that's why you got to go back to saying Baruch Shem quietly. Isn't that brilliant? It's a brilliant answer. So to over here, when he was going from the Kodesh HaKadoshim to Haran, he might have been in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, he was standing in the area of the base of Mikdash. And when he sees his dream, Malachim Eretz will have to leave. Because his mind is Chutz Laretz. And that, by the way, answers the question. He was in Eretz Yisrael. And the Malachim of Eretz Yisrael left him, and the Malachim of Chutz Laretz came. But he hadn't left yet. He's not on the border. He's in the Makom Mikdash. So why in the world are the Malachim of Chutzlarts coming to greet him if he's not yet out of Eretz Yisrael? The answer is, according to Saznayim Torah, because his mindset is outside of Eretz Yisrael. He wants to leave. So Malachim of Chutzlarts come. When he's coming back and his mindset is Eretz Yisrael, then the Malachim of Chutzlarts leave and the Malachim of Eretz Yisrael come in. That's how the Oznayim Torah puts it. Brilliant. I think that's connected to that Gorariye. It's a brilliant answer from the Oznayim Torah that goes through. All right, obviously, we have a lot more over here. Uh, I'm going to have to skip right over here. We have like five minutes left, so let me skip quite a bit. Get down all the way down. I, over here, we have a bunch that goes through Machanayim, why it's called Machanayim, a bunch of answers that are given. To probably, I think I have eight answers over here all together, and some of them are really, really good. The Balatur in the Balitos, the Moshe Zakenim, says the word Machanoim is a notrikon. That means an abbreviation. It stands for Meosan Chayolos Natal Yaakov Malachim. From those armies of Malachim, Yaakov took some Malachim and sent them on to Esau itself. Now, we said up above that those Malachim he didn't send. He sent his own Malachim, he didn't send the Malachim Hashem. This says that he sent those themselves. Regardless, that's what he did over here. Orachim HaKadosh says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent Malachim, which looked like men, to appear before Esau. But Yaakov knew they were really Malachim, and he was not fooled. They would be like men, but he knew these are Malachim, these are not really men. Because they didn't appear the way a normal group would. Again, the way we said it before, they would appear and then get closer and closer. They just appeared in front of him. So he knew that it was something a little bit different. He could understand that it was something different. The Moshe Zakanim says he understood from these Malachim what to do later by Esav. The way to survive a meeting with Esav is to prepare for war and to divide up into two different camps. He got it. When he saw the Malachim coming to him, they appeared as two different camps. One camp of Malachim and one camp of Malachim. That's why he called them Machanoim. One camp was this way, one camp was that way. And he understood, that's how I'm going to survive. I'm going to fight if I need to, but I'm also going to divide up my camp. 
I'm going to divide it up and put one here and one there. That's how I'm going to be. And that would be there. But says Moshe of Zikanim, it was a mistake. Yaakov misunderstood in his greatness. Again, this is not a Stam person. This is Yaakov Avinu at the age of 103, maybe 104. He's looking at the Malachim and deciding what to do based on that. And it was a major mistake. Because Yaakov split up his camps, the people on both sides, later on there would be a split in the kingdom of Malchus Yisrael and Malchus Yehuda. Rechavam and Yeruvam would split up everything. And they didn't know why, they, nobody knew where that came from. From Yaakov and splitting up the camps and saying each one has their own chashivas, each one has their own thing, that was the reason why such a thing happened. We have to understand this. That means that as great as Yaakov Avinu was, as unbelievable as he was, and as he understood Hashem's messages as clearly as anybody could, there are still mistakes that people make when it comes to things like that, and you have to have pure bitachon. On his level, again, on our level, it would have been pushed, you do everything you can. On his level, he should have said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I see the Malachim are like that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I am going to go straight to Esav. Now, at the end of the day, what did happen? Did he split up his camps? No. Think about it. After he fought the Malach, what happened? He walked in front of Akarish, walked in front of Esav, bringing all of his kids with him. There was no split camps. He didn't split it up in two different places. He had everybody with him and just walked right in front of Esav. So I don't know what the Moshe Zakani means by this exactly. He wanted to split the camps, but he didn't end up splitting the camps. I'm not so sure I understand over here. Rabbeinu Ephraim says something amazing about the 12 Tagen that refer to the 12 generations. I don't even know what the 12 Tagen are in this Pasuk. But there's something weird about what's happening here, and I'm going to end almost with a question. I don't understand what they're saying over here. Shlomo, yeah? Correct. Yeah, it seems like it's only because of what he wanted to do, not what he actually did. Because he didn't do it, seemingly. All right, guys, yeah, rough. I would assume he planned everything before the Malach, because that, that, if the Pesukim are all in order, that would make the most sense. Yeah, I mean, the plan was doing that, and then he knew, right. It's just, but what's the, what's the problem with what he did, though? I, I, he didn't actually do anything. I, that's my problem. Yeah. 